From WIUXLP Bloomington, I'm Peeler Brynjarski. Welcome to this week's episode of American Student Radio, covering Bloomington, Indiana. From Bloom... <laughs> from... Uh, again, live? Li- what is it? <clears throat> oh, ready? Should I do it again? From Indiana University in Bloomington. From Indiana University in Bloomington. This is... This is... This is American Student Radio. Real chill. Real chill. Aliens. Conspiracy. Journalism. And lesbians. As the seventh largest city in Indiana, Bloomington is inconspicuous on the map, but it becomes much more interesting once you get close. Home to around 80,000 people, this bicycle-friendly town sometimes seems dominated by IU's 40,000 student population, especially when you're a student here. But for today, we decided to check out Bloomington for its own sake, and maybe look at the university from the outside. Our first piece comes from producer Anna Groover, who spoke to some local businesses about the kind of economy the college creates. College towns are in my blood. My hometown is Muncie, home to Ball State University. Now I'm a student here at IU. Bloomington is the quintessential college town. There are restaurants on every corner, specialty shops filled with IU gear, and coffee houses surrounding campus. In the span of one day, I can grab a cup of coffee before class, hit up Kirkwood for lunch with a few friends, and receive a new club t-shirt at a meeting, with pizza purchased from one of Bloomington's many pizza parlors, of course. There's constant interaction between students and businesses in town. This relationship intrigued me, so I wanted to learn how college students inform the way businesses operate here in Bloomington. First, I headed over to Underground Printing, a retail and custom printing t-shirt shop on Kirkwood. After doing some research, I found out that underground printing isn't just in Bloomington. There are shops spattered across the Midwest, from Ann Arbor, Michigan to West Lafayette, Indiana, and Madison, Wisconsin to Lexington, Kentucky. All college towns. So clearly, there's something to selling custom t-shirts to students. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have any idea on how many shirts exactly, and again, it varies um, from year to year. I would say an average of Six hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand dollars worth every year, but I don't, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable guaranteeing that. It, it totally just depends on the year. That's Satavel Turin, the store's manager. Underground printing sales lean heavily towards college students. Satav and her assistant manager, Zach Warren, estimated eighty percent of their sales were university related. So sororities, fraternities, student groups like Riley Dance Marathon, and even just academic departments. So, the biggest problem facing a t-shirt business that mostly serves students. Three summer months when I use nearly 50,000 students leave town. But Satav sees that as an opportunity to connect with those outside of IU, not a time to lean back and relax. So it leaves a lot of time to just get to know people. Um, During the summer, we have way more ability to uh, step out of the store and go visit other local businesses and create those partnerships that we um, that we really feel are extremely important. One of my favorite things to do in Bloomington is trying out all the local coffee shops. So when I took to Sample Gates, I posed a question to students walking past. So, where is your favorite place to get coffee in Bloomington? Unsurprisingly, a few people's loyalty lay with you-know-who. 
I mean, I'm not really a avid coffee drinker, so I'm gonna say Starbucks. So I'm sorry, but that's my answer. Um, I don't normally uh, drink coffee, but if I do decide to get some, I will probably go to Starbucks. Typically, I just go to the Starbucks by College Mall, but I don't know. Soma's pretty good every once in a while, so. Granted, many of these people didn't even drink coffee all that often, but Soma was a name that popped up again and again. Ooh, Soma. Okay, um, also Soma. Uh, I also work there, so I have to say that. Um, <laughs> but I do love it. Soma. Soma is so good. They have amazing chai, and you can get so much espresso, and they make it really, really spicy, and it's delicious. When I walked into Soma Crosstown, the newest Soma location, one out of three in Bloomington, on a late Friday afternoon around 4 o'clock, I was expecting it to be fairly empty. But it was a buzz. I scanned around the room filled with people chatting, typing away on their laptops, and sipping their coffee. Nearly every seat was taken. Soma manager Evan Moser says the crowd was hardly unusual for this location. Many of their customers are students living in the dorms across the street. Business is generally slow in the morning, but picks up as students finish their classes and meetings for the day. Meanwhile, their other two locations have a big morning rush and business slows down in the afternoon. Evan enjoys getting to know all of the customers that walk into Soma, whether they're students or locals. I would say a very, very decent portion of my job involves FaceTime with the community. And I definitely say that's one of my favorite parts of this job is being able to get to know not only the immediate community, like IU-based, but also the the branches, all the different subcultures within the IU community and the surrounding Bloomington community. And um, yeah, it's fun to kind of peel back the onion layers, and this <laughs> is a great way to do it. Evan used to manage the Soma on 3rd and Jordan, and he's noticed with each location a different demographic of customers. I asked him how that played out when the newest location, the one we are sitting in, opened. I would say it was about two-thirds loyal Bloomington residents and a third uh, a new crop from within the actual geographic region. Um, even from day one, we got people who showed up and had no clue what Soma was, which I found really interesting, mainly because we're so predominant around campus. We are names everywhere. Um, and it's an exciting opportunity to be able to be like, hey, oh my God, let me let you in on a secret. We got something great going on here. As time has passed, the sales demographics have begun to reflect the people surrounding it. More and more students are dropping by for a cappuccino or specialty drink. This is something Evans noticed at the other locations, too. More Bloomington residents frequent the Kirkwood Soma, the farthest location from campus. And at the other location on 3rd and Jordan, the customer base is a good mix of undergrads, grad students, and professionals. At the end of the spring semester, though, Soma has to deal with the same problem that underground printing does, sustaining business through the summer months. From a customer end, I can't really forecast what's going to happen at this location that we just opened up. However, I will say that things do scale back up until summer classes start. Um, we just have to continue to foster relationships with those that are a little more permanent in this town. 
um, because those are the ones that are going to be sticking with us in the long haul. For American Student Radio, I'm Anna Groover. The music for this piece was provided by Poddington Bear under a Creative Commons license. Our next story comes from Carter Barrett, who connected with a few of Bloomington's most distinctive residents. It's skunks. Fire departments respond to fires, car accidents, cats in trees, but also sometimes strange smells. We probably respond to an odor call in an area uh, one to two times a day. That's Captain Dan Glebski with the Bloomington Fire Department. Sometimes a mysterious smell isn't a carbon monoxide or a gas leak but a skunk. Uh, and, and on a fair uh, amount of times, we'll go out and it, it'll be a skunk uh, that actually causes the odor. Mistaking a skunk for a gas leak seems crazy, I know. When a skunk sprays or, or when it's uh, right next to you, the smell is so strong it can make you actually a little bit nauseous and, and it's so overpowering that you may not recognize it to be associated with a skunk. So one January evening, that was me calling the fire department. 911. Okay, what's going on? We think it might be a natural gas leak in our house. Okay. Is it more intense inside the residence or outside? Inside. Okay. We're all standing outside, so. Okay, do go outside. Okay. All right, I'll right. we'll get the fire department in route, okay? Okay, thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I was one of those people that mistook a skunk for a gas leak, and it was pretty embarrassing. So after a week of complaining to just about anyone who would listen, I discovered what happened to our house isn't that uncommon after all. Um, and then right off here is me and Richard share this room. My mattress is the depressing one on the floor because I'm too broke for a bed frame. Yeah, this is just my room. Um, and it's always where the whatever smells in our house are the strongest, I guess, because it's carpeted and it's like the only carpeted bedroom. This is Sarah Miller and Jack Evans. Sarah overheard me talking about my skunk house one day and we were shocked by the similarity of our stories. Their experience was practically identical to my own. I was asleep, and around 4.30, 4.45 one morning, I woke up to just a wave of, like, I don't even know what it was. I came into the living room, and I laid on the couch, and I Googled, what does a gas leak smell like? When it happened at my house, I was sitting on my couch, and the smell was like a smack in the face, sudden and overpowering. That's when I called my roommate, Brianna Susnick. And I remember walking in the house and opening the door to smell it. And immediately, I was just like overpowered by how strong the smell was. This is my other roommate, Sarah Johnson. Not to be confused with the Sarah we've already heard from. Like, it's so potent. It's like if you took burning rubber and turned it into an essential oil. (laughs) Um, And so my first take was like, this smells like that time when I was like 10 years old and a plastic part of our dishwasher fell off inside the dishwasher and burned up. It was like, I just have this image of like some evil like wave of disgusting poison, like like in a Batman movie or something or like a cartoon, <laughs> like a wave like coming over the house. Just a cartoon, like a cartoony like neon green yes, like exactly. cloud. Yeah. Yeah. After the first initial skunk attack, the smell lingered for days. It permeated everything. The furniture, the carpet, and honestly, my mood. 
it was hard to not notice it because it was so intense but then like when you left like my hands smelled like skunk um and all of my clothes smelled like it and I was like I I smell like a monster I don't even want to be around myself but I can't escape the smell it's following me you know I grew up like near like the woods and like I'd smelled skunk before and this just didn't smell anything like that like within five minutes of being in the house and walking around like I felt like a headache it was nauseating almost like you couldn't even function in the house the stench didn't stop at the door I smelled the skunk on my clothes my hands and in my backpack I wondered if my classmates could smell it and if they did what they thought it was it was a crazy feeling to be at the mercy of a skunk because no matter what we did nothing helped like it was the first week of classes and so i was like this is the first impression i'm making like no one will want to sit around me because i smell like a skunk you're gonna be skunk girl i know i was afraid i was gonna be skunk girl and like i wanted to like go up and introduce myself to my professors but i couldn't shake their hands because my hands smell like a skunk (laughs) the smell lasted for about five days and since then the skunk would strike about once a week but it was never quite as intense our maintenance man suggested it was mating season and hence the puffs of smell But as of right now, we've been skunk-free since mid-February. Sarah and Jack haven't been as lucky. Two skunk stories seem like a coincidence. But could there be more? Have you ever had an experience with skunks in Bloomington? Like two weeks ago, I was really drunk at the bars, and I peed behind Chipotle on the dumpsters, and a skunk's head stuck out, and I've never stopped peeing faster. Just walking back and forth from the dorms, um... They were always behind Teeter running up and down the hills, but I never got sprayed, so that's a good thing. I was, like, coming home one night at night, and there was a skunk, like, in the garbage can. That lives behind my house, yeah. He's pretty relaxed, though. He doesn't bother us too much because it's near the back door. But it's nice. He always, like, kind of warns us, uh, and then we just don't go out that way. Okay, so it seems like this skunk thing is everywhere. Why had I never noticed? And why did it seem so earth-shattering when it was my problem? It's like, I'm not ready to be an adult if this is what adulthood is like. (laughs) At least once a month you have to decide if there's something wrong with your house that'll kill you or is just merely unpleasant. Obviously things can be worse, like a lot worse. But that didn't make me feel better about our house. When things are your problem, they just seem so much bigger. You know, you kind of realize when you're an adult and something gets in your way, you know, You can't just take the day off from work and handle it, you know? Is there a lesson at the end of all of this? I mean, I'm not really interested in wrapping cheesy bows around the moral of the story. But what I do know is we all have smelly shit in our lives. And while it isn't usually as literal as a skunk, you just kind of have to deep clean and move on. But it seems like everyone has a skunk connection in Bloomington. Yeah. Like... The skunk spiracy is afoot. Stop. (laughs) For American Student Radio, I'm Carter Barrett. The music in this piece was provided by Poddington Bear under a Creative Commons license. Annexation and incorporation may seem like bland terms for someone outside a city council or planning commission meeting, but you might be surprised at how much it affects you. In this piece, I spoke to Steve Volan, a Bloomington City Council member who represents quite a few IU students and who has some excellent insight about how the city and the university handle their land. The Bloomington, Indiana City Council has been discussing annexing large chunks of land around the current city limits, incorporating nearly 10,000 acres into the city from Monroe County. 
I spoke to Steve Volan. Yes, that's me, Steve Volan. A city council member, about how this annexation might work, but our conversation took an interesting turn later. Stay tuned. My name is Stephen Volan. I am the sixth district representative to the Bloomington City Council, a position I've served since 2004. The annexation would add about 15,000 more people to the city's current population of 80,000. And there's been some controversy among those 15,000 currently residing in the county who will be annexed. Steve explained why. The number one reason is that they don't want to pay higher taxes. Now, this is understandable. Nobody wants to pay more taxes than they have to. Um, But in addition to that argument, some people are making additional arguments, even though their real objection is they don't want to pay more taxes. Um, some, Some of the lesser arguments are our neighborhood is not actually able to be further urbanized. So you've got some two-acre parcels out on the edge of town that uh, cannot be further subdivided because they are, um, you know, in a ravine or, like, there's no way it's going to become further developed. And so they have an argument that's worth listening to. Um, And others, uh, basically, they cannot get uh, sewer and water service, and that's another big measure. So those are some more legitimate um, complaints. But I I find the one about um, I don't want to pay more taxes to be a bit hollow. The benefits people might experience from being annexed include road maintenance and police and fire protection. But some citizens feel they're receiving enough of these resources already. In fact, my parents' property is actually scheduled to be annexed. And I spoke to my mom, who doesn't quite know how to feel. On what I, I haven't haven't made a decision whether I'm for or completely against it, but I'm leaning more toward the against side no, from why? having researched it. Why? Yeah. Uh, because because it it seems to me that the city is number one. They're pushing it way too quick, too fast. Our taxes are going to go up, and we won't get much more than we already have. She acknowledges that the sheriff's department might not fulfill every requirement, but she's satisfied with fire service and feels that the tax increase is hefty for a marginal increase in services. This stance certainly supports the general dissent that Councillor Volan describes. My conversation with Councillor Volan turned toward the nature of Indiana University within the city, a relationship, it turns out, might not be discussed enough. Well, one of the ways in which IU is different is that even though there are Twelve to 15,000 people living on its corporate property, it's not subject, I mean, it's, it's not considered a town or a city. In, in fact, they call themselves a state entity. Uh, for all intents and purposes, IU functions like a separate city within the city of Bloomington. Now, 70% of the students at IU live in the city of Bloomington or outside, off campus, um, and I represent uh, those people whether they live on campus or not. So I had six undergraduate dorms in a district of 13,000 people. Literally half of my constituents were freshmen who were unaware that I existed and will be gone in nine months. It's a real challenge to sort of imagine representing people whose warm bodies are there most of the year, but whose names change every year. Um, Nevertheless, we vote on things every week that affect your daily life your water and sewer, your fire and police protection, your public transit, landlord-tenant law, for those of you who don't live on campus. But uh, so few people vote in 
my district that I've had bigger parties at my house than turned out for the last competitive election that I won. Uh, not that it was a big party, don't get me wrong, but still when less than 300 people out of 13,000 cast a vote, it makes you stop and think, what is this place? Um, so in a way, ironically, IU is not only unaffected by annexation directly, IU in turn, because it's a state entity, is in the annexation business itself. When it buys land that's contiguous to its campus, it takes that land off of city and state tax rolls and it expands its de facto town in much the same way that we're doing through uh, a mandated state process. There really is no specific process for campuses to annex property, but they do. I mean, IU used to be just the old crescent. And I like to describe IU as a giant baseball field. Uh, the law school is home plate. The music school is first base. The main library, Wells Library, is second base. And the bypass is the home run fence. So there was a time when all of IU was within that field, and now they've expanded out into the bleachers. Um, all, there was a time when all the academic buildings, before 2005, all the academic buildings were in the infield. And now they've expanded well beyond the infield. They're going up the third baseline, uh, Woodlawn. Actually, that's kind of right into left center field. I love the analogy, but it gets a little hairy sometimes. Anyway, uh, they've annexed well beyond the baseball field footprint. And um, they keep occasionally acquiring land here and there. And uh, some of which is considered campus, some of which is not. Volan says the city needs to grow to keep it interesting, however. So, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I would like to see a more diverse economy here. And that the, the only way to do that may be for the city to continue growing. However, it seems this growth could be better managed. I have long ago given up hope that IU will ever pay attention to what Bloomington does, what Bloomington wants. Um, their, their master plan was adopted. They, their first master plan was adopted in 2010. We've had a master plan for at least 20 years longer. We're on our third version of it. In 300-some pages of their master plan, they mentioned the city of Bloomington maybe a dozen times. They mentioned the city of Bloomington's master plan not at all. So IU has its own plans. Uh, they really don't care what Bloomington does. And, um, you know, I can tell you what I wish I could see, but I don't ever expect to see it. What I wish is that IU would see that the city of Bloomington is an extension of their campus and that their campus is a city like Bloomington. And, you know, I wish that IU would see that Bloomington is a recruiting asset. Like, I, I wonder how students think about it. I mean, I see students as permanent residents, even though they're only here for four years. The census counts them here, and they can vote, and they can hold my job. So they count as grown-ups, whether grown-ups or the students themselves like it or not. And so I try to make life for you good while you're here, even though I know your timestamp. Music in this piece came from Jazar and broke for free under a Creative Commons license. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Peeler Brunyarski.
Our final piece today comes from Emily Miles, who found some Bloomingtonians and connected the city with their emotional memories. I'm pulling into the parking lot of Martha's house on South Rogers. It's the end of what the Google Maps lady suggests is about an hour and 20 on the road. The wind is beating my microphone like an old rug. And there's a man out front. Around him, a little lingering cigarette smoke. Um, can you tell me one of your sort of strangest mo memories here in Bloomington? Uh, <laughs> Getting along with people. Yeah? And where is that? Everywhere. You already know this, but memory's a funny thing. The way we tie it to people and places. The way it's imprecise and sometimes just plain wrong. But significant nonetheless. I've told people for years now that the first restaurant I ever visited in Bloomington, Indiana was the Kirkwood Chipotle. strange thing, but um, I'm doing uh, this radio piece about like a sort of a memory map of Bloomington. My first memory was here in Chipotle, so I'm starting here. Can you tell me what your like best memory in Bloomington is? Um, probably be uh, taking all my friends out to the mall. We just hung out there for a couple hours and had fun. One of my favorite places is probably the food court because, you know, food is life. So I head out to College Mall and follow the signs to the food court. There aren't too many people on a Sunday afternoon, but there is this one young woman on the edge, twirling lo mein. Her hair's kind of curly. Can I ask you what your warmest memory in Bloomington is? Probably the softball diamonds over on 2nd Street. Twin Lakes, I think is what it's called. We would come in the summer if we played travel softball. I mean, that was probably from like 10 to 16, coming back and forth every summer, you know, just visiting and, and seeing other teams and girls we knew that were from here and they would kind of chat with us and things. So. That's crazy actually. I was I started this thing in at Chipotle because I thought oh, that's my first memory in Bloomington. But it, it actually wasn't. I had the similar memory at Twin Lakes. I, I played, played softball too. And in seventh grade my team came up to Bloomington for a tournament. That Friday night, in one inning, I fouled off more than ten pitches from one girl. After we'd won and gone to sleep, the rain began. Soon enough, we got the call that the infield was essentially a lake and that the whole tournament was canceled. So we just stayed the weekend and joined other teams in terrorizing the Holiday Inn, wandering through the mall, throwing peanuts at Texas Roadhouse. If I remember correctly, it turned out to be one of the best weekends of my life. And that was my real first Bloomington memory. So out to Twin Lakes I go, and there's a set of umpires packing up from a long weekend. Can you tell me one of your like best memories here at Bloomington? My funnest memory was when I umpired the uh, uh, Indiana Club baseball alumni game. All right. And that was a lot of fun. And where was that? Uh, I think it was at Bloomington Northfield. Okay, all right, cool. Thank you very much. You have a good day. You too. I've never been to Bloomington North, so I have to navigate. It's something like 10 minutes, 
in a quarter mile. Turn right onto North Prowl Road. I pull in by the tennis courts and pass a series of coughing shoes and yelping rackets on my way to a couple men. They're standing outside the equipment shed. Hi. Do you take care of like the baseball field and stuff here? Or? I actually teach here at Bloomington North, and I'm the high school baseball coach here. Okay. I'm sorry. Would you mind if we like kind of get out of the wind for a sec? Huh? Not very clean. Oh, that's all right. Can you tell me uh, one of your best memories here in Bloomington? I think just growing up with friends, uh, again, going to high school here, going to the lake, that was always fun. I just remember going with friends and boating. We skied a lot. I mean, I don't remember anything specific, just other than having a good time with friends down there. You should look up a map of Lake Monroe. It's pretty huge and not exactly in Bloomington, but it is an unmistakable part of living here. I take creative liberty and cross the lake to the Cutright SRA, the center of several of my fondest memories. But I've never seen it this busy, the parking lot brimming with pickup trucks and trailers. I head out to one of the ramps and find a woman, Hi. just floating in her boat. Uh, do you want to ask you a question real quick? Okay. Can I ask you about one of your memories here in Bloomington? Yes, one of my memories in Bloomington is I used to come with a friend and um, go to Martha's house and um, take food for the homeless there. I can tell you a little bit more about that. Um, it was all about um, giving back. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. So I head to Martha's house, and you already know what happens there. The man's response is vague, but I see it clear as this day when I've walked up to a bunch of strangers and shoved microphones in their faces and asked them to remember. And they don't tell me stories. They tell me about their friends and their traditions tied to this place on a map. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Emily Miles. Thanks for listening to American Student Radio on 99.1 WIUX. If you like the show, you can subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. Next week, Maggie Tully will host our episode about food. Have you ever wondered about the role bees play in getting our food to the table? Or the secret life of bees? Most of what we are eating in human society, it like just think of everything you eat, whether in the ingredients, just like it is something that's been affected by our pollinators, whether it's a bee or whether it's not. It is something that other animals are interacting with so that we are able to survive. Hi, I'm Maggie Tully, and I'll be your host for the next American Student Radio, where we'll be diving into all sorts of topics encompassing food. Make sure to tune in next Sunday at noon. Thank you for listening to American Student Radio. We're produced by students at Indiana University Bloomington. Our theme music is provided by Lunamatic. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Student Radio and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at ASR Voice. We broadcast new episodes every Sunday at noon on WIOX and stream on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash American student radio. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.